Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are you? Doing all right. And coming off the long holiday weekend, IndyCar at Mid-Ohio, the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, the Honda Indy 200. A race recap for you. Scott McLaughlin of Team Penske, your winner in the Odyssey Battery car. First time that's been a sponsor on his car this season. Picks up his second career IndyCar win and his second win of the season. And before I go any further, it was pointed out to me by one of the listeners, not just Independence Day and Fourth of July weekend in the U.S., but Canada Day. Canada Day. Yeah, it was what, yeah. July 2nd? Uh, is it July 1st or July 2nd? Maybe it's July 1st. It was buddy, whatever Friday was. Which would be July 1st. Yeah, so yes. I have a buddy that's um, his mom is from Canada. He's actually currently in Canada on vacation and uh, sent me a lot of texts on July 1st to celebrate Canada <laughs> Day. Just to mess with you, right? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's independent. It's North American Independence Weekend, right? Canada Day and July 4th, Independence Day. Common thread? Both celebrating independence from the Brits. Right. And the uh, the classic shirt uh, or motto that I saw this year about the uh, our Independence Day is, is the British blew a 13-colony lead. Yes, I've seen that before. It's the uh, shirt I, I saw. I always find it funny that the Brits and F1 hold Silverstone on the same weekend as hmm. July 4th. Right? Like, you know, like around that time. It's the, uh, Seems the consolation prize, I guess, <laughs> to, uh, you know, with... Uh, Martin Brundle on the F1 broadcast calling calling Silverstone the greatest race course in the world. But Uh, we'll digress that discussion for later. (laughs) Anyway, to Mid-Ohio, Scott McLaughlin picking up the win over the weekend. A lot to get into on this race that unfortunately has not as much to do with the actual racing on the course. It has more to do with race control and team drama. I don't even know uh, where to begin. I, I guess I'll start. Do you want to go three things? Is that your top thing to start the race? To start the, I uh, guess with three things, I'll start with race control. Okay, because I thought the caution that essentially handed Scott McLaughlin the the lead without having to do anything to defend after that pit cycle in the race. I, I mean, to me, that was the race, and I thought this is ridiculous. Like. I understand that they've had a long-standing rule of closing the pits when under yellow. Right. But for the first time, I thought, okay, before they used to close the pits right away, and if you're screwed, you're screwed. And then they started stretching it out a bit, you know, to help everyone pit. But this one just seems so manipulated by race control, so inconsistent, that it's like, why are we doing this? Why are we closing the pits under yellow? Can't we just go back to local yellows? Like, what's what's the point of having road racing if you're going to have full course cautions all the time? Well, yeah, and I can, you know, every situation is different depending on where the car is, of course, and if it's in a spot where, you know, it could cause issues. But on the broadcast, you have James Hinchcliffe pushing for the yellow to be thrown even later. He wants all cars to have to do that outlap. And it's like, where does it end? Right? Exactly. It's it's the luck of the draw, the luck of when the yellows fall in a race has always affected auto racing all the time. And that's just good luck, bad luck. That's just the luck of the draw. Sometimes luck's with you, sometimes it isn't. And now we're coming to a point where we're trying to manipulate cautions so they don't burn a certain amount of people or leaders or guys that are off cycle. It's like, just throw the yellow. If it's a yellow, if it's a full course yellow, throw it. If it's a local yellow, throw it. I understand why they're doing it. But unfortunately, teams and drivers had a, have a lot of say, and not as much as they used to in this series, but they're still going to complain, complain, complain when they're burned by a caution or, you know, complaining that the pits were closed when they shouldn't be, blah, blah, blah. That's racing, in my opinion. And that's what I think the IndyCar series should say. Every time this comes up, that's racing. Bad luck, good luck, whatever. It's, it's what happens. And, and instead, we have these contrived trying to let everybody pit and all that stuff. And I know people are on one side or the other with this thing, but that, that's kind of why I said, you know what? If a person wrecks and brings out a yellow at the wrong time and burns you such is life, that's racing. Yes. And the fact that Kyle Kirkwood who had contact, he was the reason for the caution was literally getting out of the car 
and they're keeping it green. Like right? either know, it's like either local yellow that corner where you're not allowed to pass and then continue racing or throw the caution right away. Like yeah. it just some consistency and we've had issues with race starts and they waved off the start of this one, whatever. It's become such a problem with the starts all season that I've become indifferent to them. But this just seemed so manipulated beyond belief of how long the delay was. Like if right. if you're gonna be about safety and be about safety. If, yeah. if you're going to be about protecting the leaders, then be about that. But just be consistent, I guess, is my issue with all of it. And why are we closing the pits? Like, this is not an issue if we didn't automatically close the pits under yellow. True. I don't understand the rule. Well, yeah. And you, then you got guys diving in, and then it would result in people that are caught on the wrong part of the track may not be able to pit right away until they're closed and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I go back to that's that's racing. And people will say, well, no, it, it's not racing because it, it affects the race. Well, ba- not based on who's fastest, who's slowest. But that's how it's been all the time. Since the creation of auto racing, that's what happens. Sometimes the luck just bites you. And, yeah, bad luck. And other times the yellow is going to come out at at the right time for you so you're never gonna bat a thousand i just wish indycar would be consistent right and they're far from it if you're gonna scrap the danger zone just warn us right <laughs> right i mean just <laughs> they just put too much input on drivers and teams complaining about the fact that they would have a the fastest race car the fastest driver in a given weekend and were burned by a yellow untimely yellow you know what that's life that's racing all right what's your first point I'm going to talk Andretti Autosport. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's one of mine's. We'll just yeah, combine it. Yeah, let's just get after it because it's been the talk of uh, of the weekend coming out of it and, and on social media and and regular media, you know, overhearing things and having to delete videos and all that stuff. And back to the matter is, here we are. We're not surprised that any of this is happening. Even Scott McLaughlin comes out and says, you know, that's something that's been brewing all season long. <laughs> Fitting he, he says it in the, the post-race presser. Yeah, right. So this is not an open it's It wasn't a closed secret. It's pretty been open in, in the paddock that there has been a lot of uh, angst around Andretti Autosport this year. And it all came to a head at Mid-Ohio on Sunday. Yes, and I guess we get into it. Alexander Rossi banged wheels with Romain Grosjean multiple times. Also banged wheels with Devlin DiFrancesco. Grosjean and Herta came together. One of the Rossi incidents, I mean, it was just side-by-side racing. The other, the wheels touched. The steering wheel left Rossi's hands. Yeah, the, he didn't have control of the car in that situation, the one that was seemed pretty blatant at first glance until right. we saw the replay. However... Those two drivers, we know they don't like each other. This is no, no secret, like you said. And who would have thought, and someone pointed this out on Twitter over the weekend, who would have thought that Devlin DeFrancesco would be the driver we'd come away with after the race saying, oh yeah, he wasn't really involved in anything. Like, he's not involved <laughs> in any of the incidents. He was an innocent bystander. As uh, was Colton Herta. Not just for being hit by Grosjean, but also... For a confusing strategy call by the team. Yeah, that's another completely mind-boggling thing. We'll get to that in a second. Let's talk Rossi and Grosjean, though. And these are two very similar drivers. They are aggressive. They are confident in their abilities. They drive elbows out. They're not afraid to mix it up. And they're guys that never seemingly do anything wrong on track. It's always somebody else's fault. And when you put two of those guys together on track and you put two of those type of guys on the same team, both being alphas, then they're going to butt heads. And I think we're seeing that. And I think the reason why these two guys are butting heads so much is because they're very much alike. I think in a lot of ways, they're mirror images of each other, even going to the point of coming from Formula One into into IndyCar. But I... Coming out of Sunday, I know there was a lot of people that are still throwing shade at Roman Grosjean, and I just felt like it was it was Alexander Rossi really dry, driving recklessly on Sunday. That's how I perceived it, and I don't know if you feel the same, Caleb, or you are Team Rossi, so to speak. I feel like Rossi was looking to instigate. I would. That's a good way of putting it. Not that it was intentional, but he saw the opportunity to push Grosjean out of the way, and he did it not once, but twice. Yeah, and and, you know, the whole steering wheel going out of his hand only becomes a thing after the contact with Grosjean. 
it became even more egregious after he made the contact, but he doesn't lose the wheel out of his hands if he doesn't make the contact. I mean, there's just two aggressive drivers and they're too much alike to be on the same team. After the race, Nathan Brown supposedly gets a, a video of a confrontation between Michael Andretti and Alexander Rossi's dad, then asked to delete it. I never would have deleted it, especially, you know, Nathan Brown was in the right. Yeah, he was in a public, public area. Public, public media. area. I mean, he had a garage access credential, media yeah. credential. He can be there. They could have gone back into the the bus or right. the trailer or whatever, or further back in the hospitality you know, close area. The paddock, close the garage door at the very least, you know? Nathan Brown makes it a big deal after the fact, but he shouldn't have deleted it, is, is the point in the first place. But I digress. The fact is, there's chaos amongst uh, Andretti Autosport. Then you bring in the absolute asinine decision or code talk with Colton Erta to try to tell him to pit with code words instead of just telling him to pit when everybody else was pitting. Yeah, I mean, it was no secret that Colton Herta was confused in the moment because he's like, and then they caught his radio saying, don't tell me a code word, just tell me to pit. Yeah, I, can't, like, I, I can't process the the secret code words, just tell me to pit or not. I, I mean, how hard can it be? And then I think Townsend Bell pointed this out on the, the TV broadcast, essentially saying, look, everyone thinks every other team is monitoring their radios and strategy they don't have time for that. Not yeah. when literally everyone, the entire field is pitting due to a caution. Right. Nobody cares that much. Nobody has no. that time to do that. And that's just more, I mean, that's just ridiculous at this point to, to because Colton Herta was in, com, com, he was competing for a win. Yes. At that point. It completely trashed his race. And then he had the contact with Grosjean and ends up finishing back in the pack. I mean, he went from almost a lock for a podium, right? Yeah, he started third, looked like a lock for a podium, finishing in 15th. I mean, you have four cars, three of them that we went into the season, we thought, okay, three of these cars should absolutely be contending for race wins week in, week out. Best case scenario. He's the highest finisher of what has usually been one of the top three or four teams in IndyCar for over a decade. Right? It, it, it's terrible. I mean... Roman Grosjean has not performed up to expectations. I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, you ask anybody and they say, Roman Grosjean's going to get a win sometime this season. I don't see it over the final, what, eight races of the season at this point. No. I don't see any indication that Roman Grosjean is capable of winning an IndyCar race at this point. The only I do not. person on that team right now is that capable of winning a race is Colton Herta, and he's the only one on that team in the last two and a half years that's won a race. And we kind of tend to forget that right yeah i mean it's a team that hasn't won the 500 since 17 hasn't won a series championship since 2012 it's going to be a decade since this so-called big three team won an indycar championship this year i mean last sunday showcased the issues within this team in 2022 but i think it's also a microcosm of what an issue with this team is for multiple seasons now in a lot of ways and unless Rossi can win Toronto and some of the key contenders like Erickson Power and Newgarden can have a really bad day, Rossi's nearly 100 points behind in eighth is the highest place Andretti car. But unless he can win you know, an, an upcoming race and have a bunch of other contenders have really bad days, which could have happened on Sunday, but instead, what do they do? Championship drives, right? And, and we'll get right. to that in a bit. But it, it's gonna, going to take race wins wins plural by Rossi right. to be a true championship contender. And for Colton Herta, I, I mean, yes, he's been inconsistent the last couple of years, the talents there, the speeds there, but it seems execution like lately it, it's there. been, yeah, execution, not necessarily on his end. Last right. year, we saw a couple of races where he made a mistake. Yeah. He made a mistake at long beach this year. He made the mistake at Nashville last year, but we're seeing stuff just completely, I mean, maybe the mistake on pass on on Carb Day. True, five hundred also on him ruined his his five hundred. So I know we're getting into to the mailbag a little bit, but I think this is is a time to bring it up in terms of us putting out the question on who which is most to blame for Andretti Autosports' recent struggles. And this was a Twitter poll that's still open, but uh, soon to close. Forty two percent people said the team support staff, so engineering pit crew, because we've talked about the errors 
They are 26% driver lineup, 22% Andretti, too focused on Formula One, 10% other. And we'll break that down a little bit more later. But, you know, it leads into the question for you, Caleb, is what do you say is the reason that Andretti Algo Sport is struggling? Can I cop out and say all the above? (laughs) I think it's a certain, I don't think it's wrong. I mean, is the driver lineup going into the season, we thought it was improved, right? Because you had Hinchcliffe and Hunter Ray at the tail end of their careers as full-time drivers. Right. Guys that we could still maybe see in the future running Indy 500 one-offs. I mean, that that's not a surprise. But as far as full-time, probably be a little surprise if either of them get a full-time IndyCar ride again at right. this point. Yeah. So I you mean, add Grosjean, who had a solid rookie year. You got to remember he won a pole. He had some podiums. There was a lot of promise. And, and he started the year with a, a couple of good results going into May, and then it just seemed like his season's tanked outside of that fourth at Road America. The driver lineup seemed improved. Rossi has clearly improved this year as far as getting results and being a true contender once again. But you, you look at the lineup, you don't have as much veteran experience. Then you look at Michael Andretti himself. Is he distracted by the F1 stuff and trying to get that nailed down? Is that a distraction? You look at team leadership and you've had a lot of the same people in place. Are there people we thought last year they'd clean house with a lot of the team leadership and pit crews. Has that happened? I don't know. I mean, it's not like we're getting the hiring and firing list of Andretti Autosport here. Obviously not. That's not in the transactions. No, no, it's not on the waiver (laughs) wire. Does this team need a de facto president to run their IndyCar operations? As Michael Andretti is running around and kissing the ass of Formula One people, do they need somebody on the ground like a Taylor Kyle uh, that's running the operations like he does at McLaren or elsewhere or like a Tim Sindrick at Penske? Does Andretti need a president of Andretti Autosports IndyCar program to really run the day-to-days and allow Michael Andretti to continue to grow the organization? I think he's done a great job doing that. You could you know, debate whether it's been the group, the best of ideas, but you can't argue the fact that Michael Andretti's eyes on other series is taking him away from the priorities that are in IndyCar. I mean, Rob Edwards, the COO, I guess that's like the closest that we have to that, but that's not a president. I don't know title. how much operational control yeah. he has, though. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a strategist and he, he does obviously some operational stuff. That's the title. Right. But, I mean, you, you look at the fallout from this, too. Mark Glendening of Racer.com uh, had some some quotes from Rob Edwards on this, and, and Glendening says that Andretti followed up one-on-one conversations with all, all four drivers in the days since. Edwards believes there's not a fundamental team problem that needs to be addressed, but rather specific personality conflicts, widely understood to be between Alexander Rossi and Robin Grosjean, <laughs> who were already being monitored prior to Mid-Ohio, Will continue to be managed monitored. over the balance of the current season before Rossi departs for Aaron McLaren SP. Well, and they're testing it at Iowa today, Thursday, as we speak. You know, after they, they talked on Sunday individually to the drivers or collectively, I think it was, Grosjean still called Rossi an idiot twice in the post-trace. So there's no love loss there, obviously. But that also goes back on Michael Andretti. You need to hire the right people and the right drivers in the right situations. And you need to be able to see that Alexander Rossi and Roman Grosjean are way too alike to get along in the paddock. And you need to have a hierarchy. I think you look at at uh, teams like Anassi and Penske and each of the members of those teams in the driver paddock fit a certain aspect of that team. Right. Whether it's conversations saying, hey, you know, Joseph Newgarden is the alpha or this, you know, this, that or the other. This is where you fit into the team. I don't think those conversations are being had at Michael or Andretti Autosport, or if they are, they're not being followed because you can hire a driver the caliber of Romain Grosjean, but you know what? If he's going to rub elbows and, and have issues with another one of your top drivers, then that would be an issue. That wouldn't be the best hire for the team, right? No. And Edwards goes on to say all four engineers work well together, particularly Olivier Boisson, who's on Romain's car, and Jeremy Millis on Alex's car. Adds the chief mechanics and crews get together. There are personality issues, in quotes, (laughs) I guess I would term them, that needed to be addressed and have been addressed. But it's no secret. We watched Stride to Survive. 
Grosjean and Gunther Steiner didn't exactly get along yeah. swimmingly either. Right. You know, you could say the common thread there is Romain Grosjean. I don't think he's the easiest person to get along with. His driving style isn't conducive to having a fruitful relationship with teammates, but you also have to remember where he came from, where your biggest rival was your teammate, right? So that can st- that is a tremendous fundamental change from going from Formula One to IndyCar. And overall, there's just a lot of personality issues at Andretti Autosport. I don't think there's one particular reason why they're in the spot that they are, but it's a team that, in my opinion, has been usurped by Errol McLaren SP as being the third best team in IndyCar. And when when you look at this, how much did this hiring of Grosjean actually push Rossi out? Was he already out Surely the door didn't help, right? before the season started? Or when it became clear to Rossi early in the year, I'm not going to get along with this guy, and you lose the experience and, and the friendship that he had with Ryan hunter Ray and James Hinchcliffe being teammates. I mean, obviously they're still friends, but you lose that on the day-to-day, weekend-to-weekend operations. Did he feel like he was on an island? Probably didn't help the situation. But then again, you know, looking at Andretti Autosport, do you cater to a driver that hasn't won in two years? So if you go to... Alexander Rossi say, you know, you're still our number one. We're going to build around you. We're going to hire other drivers that may not be to your caliber, but we want you and Colton Herta to be the face, blah, blah, blah. Does that really help Andretti Autosport? Considering Alexander Rossi has not been able to perform to win races the last couple of years. So everybody's got an angle. Everybody's got a, got a reason why they're doing things. And I'm not going to say this re- reason is good and this reason is bad and right or wrong. The fact is Andretti Autosport has an absolute cluster on its hands right now. And they have to be thankful that Colton Herta's dad is on his box and, oh, and part of the organization. Because yeah. last weekend aside with the confusion, I don't think Colton Herta would stay with Andretti Autosport if his dad wasn't there, if his dad wasn't part of the organization, if he had an option to go to any of the other three top three teams without Brian Herta being in the picture, why wouldn't you go? Yeah, I, I mean... Andretti does one thing. They they create loyalty with their drivers, but then it always seems to come to a falling out. <laughs> Eventually it ends at some point. So, Do you think things get better after this race? Because things have been addressed and there's been a confrontation about all of it. I don't think behind the scenes things get any better. I think that's a relationship between Rossi and Grosjean that's too far gone at this point. I just think they're cordial with each other and probably say all the right things just to, uh, to be able to keep that... Uh, perception that things are better i guess my question is more so do you expect more fireworks on the track between those two this season i hope so (laughs) i I don't know if it's if it's a probability but look how much we've talked about this i mean this is what we wanted folks this is what we the drama that we've seen in drive to survive whether it's real or contrived that's what we've all said is needed in IndyCar and we don't expect it to happen amongst teammates, but here it is. So I'm going to enjoy it as long as it lasts. I I hope this is a storyline that continues. And at the very least, hopefully it's something that carries on into 2023 when they're on different teams. And you have two of the most popular drivers in the series too. Doesn't hurt. It it helps with that. Okay. So obviously that was my second point as well. Okay. So we'll go to my number two and we'll let's talk about Scott McLaughlin getting the win guy that we mentioned even last episode, Caleb, as since the first two races of the season has kind of dropped off in consistency, particularly the last four or five races. Here he goes back and wins his second race of the season, second career race in IndyCar. And he seems like a guy now is back kind of uh, in the conversation in terms of a championship. I would agree. I mean, he's got Barely a lot of points to make up. To make up, but now he's we're in the conversation. At, yeah, and now six wins for Team Penske this year through the first nine races. Not too shabby. No, and you look at what McLaughlin did. I mean, look, it's not his fault that he benefited from the weird delay on the caution. Right, right place, right time. Props to him and his team for executing that perfectly and, and for taking advantage of Pato Awards struggles. I think McLaughlin, it, Road America to now, I mean, he got his confidence back. It doesn't help your championship 
when you have a terrible Indy 500. It is what it is. He had a terrible yeah. Indy 500 crashing out, finishing in 29th, but he's slowly bounced back. Do I think he's going to be the series champion? I mean, he wants to, obviously, and they mentioned on the broadcast, he studied Alex Blow and what he did last year. Could he go on a hot streak and win a couple more races and find himself in true contention? Absolutely. I, I think it's, as always, it's going to come down to someone winning three or more races. The fact that Newgarden's already won three and is third, yeah. he's, what, 34 points back? I mean, that, that shows you how consistent Will Power and Marcus Erickson have been at the top. Marcus Erickson, 321 points. Will Power, 20 behind. Joseph Newgarden uh, looks like 34 uh, behind. But I think there's a lot to... Um, to gain, I mean, you look at Alex Palou, who has zero poles, zero wins, sitting there in fourth, still within striking distance. If if he can get a couple wins, even over the final eight of the se- eight races of the season, his consistency towards the top of the 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 finish finishing standings, race after race, puts him in contention even without a win yet. So, still a lot to be decided. But it was good to see Scott McLaughlin kind of shake off uh, a bad string and put together a good race and get a win. What's your number three, sir? Well, I was going to go with Penske because they won six in the nine races, but let's go with Renus VK for my third. Finishing in fourth on Sunday, putting some outstanding moves on the track. Yeah, the outside even. Getting, uh, what, was that Dixon and Newgarden, right, with that pass? I mean, that was a phenomenal pass by VK. A huge bounce-back performance. A top five, his first top five since the pole and podium at Barber. It's the mustache. Yeah. It's got to be. He's got the rooster mustache from Top Gun. Between the heavy mustache and the very dense eyebrows of Renus VK, he's got the facial hair going on. He, he does. And I have to say, I mean, this is a huge, huge performance by him this weekend when we compare to how Aaron McLaren SP performed with separate engine issues. We'll get to more on that later uh, with just all the Chevy issues. But I think to me, this was a big bounce back weekend. He pulls ahead of his teammate, Connor Daly, by five points in the championship. And and whereas Daly has had a string of just kind of 12th, 14th, 13th place finishes, mid-pack. VK with a really strong result. Not only, I think, sets himself up well for his team the rest of the season. You, you got to get results when you're a young driver. You feed off confidence, right? So right. I, I think this will be big for him and his confidence. I agree. And especially when he's, you know, what we think he's basically looking to get that third McLaren seat. It's very much a tryout, I think, in the latter half of this year to see if he can string together some good results, and this is a step in that right direction. Absolutely. All right. Your third? You know, I could go a couple different routes here. Let's talk, Chevy, you mentioned it, and you look at both Aero McLaren SP cars having issues. Including Pato Ward, who led twenty eight races or twenty eight laps. Felix Rosenquist was in the top three when he was started fading. You look at both Foyt or two of the Foyt cars in Calderon and Kyle Kirkwood at issues. Ilot Kellett also down there. Is this a team issue? Is this a Chevy issue? And do we think this could continue? So Mark Glendening of Racer dot com uh, talked with uh, Chevy IndyCar program manager Rob Buckner. And the breakdown as far as the issues uh, for Pato Award, a fuel supply issue. That, again, not a surprise. The number seven car of Felix Rosenquist. He says, definitely on our side, a quick engine failure. We don't have that one root caused yet. So unclear. Which, which was a little weird because on that, it, it like hit like the pit limiter mm-hmm. and then was okay going through the gears and then it was completely gone. Then the 11 car of Tatiana Calderon, shifting issue on the team side. 77 car, odd engine event that led to an engine failure in retirement. Odd engine event. You never yeah. want to hear that. No. Odd engine event. The fact that two of these, they have no clue right. what happened yet. A little bit concerning. Concerning for sure. But all in all, they were first and third Chevy on track at a Honda sponsored event. I don't think they're too mad about it. Now, What it comes down to, he basically said they were all engines that were in the 2,000 mile and up range. So initially you start thinking, oh, do we have some major issue around the 2,000 mile mark? They're all pretty unique. 
So they are close to mileaging out. Got it. So feast and famine for Chevy. You mentioned it first, third, and fourth with Renus VK, and then the bottom six in the final results as well. So hopefully just a one race blip for Ilmore. Yes. Other notes from mid Ohio as we wrap up uh, things from mid Ohio over the weekend. TV ratings, well, less than stellar. Not great, Bob. 0.57 rating, 877,000 viewers. Now, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star pointing out that last year this race ran on July 4th itself. It was the best non-500 TV rating for NBC to date, 1.303 million viewers for comparison, and that was a race dominated by Joseph Newgarden. So yeah. that that's very concerning, for sure. And having that context, I mean, that that makes it even worse. Also, though, last year, the race led into NASCAR Cup race at Road America on NBC. This year, it did not because Cup uh, was on USA Network. And, and to put it in perspective, okay, yeah, it's not going to get the Cup rating, but SRX, better rating, Xfinity on Saturday on USA Network, got slightly more viewers as well, 881,000. Not ideal. I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's not great. It wasn't good. Anything under a million is not good on network. And that's kind of where I don't care what's on, what other things are going on, what holiday it is. I don't care. One million is that number. You surpass that. I'm happy. If you're under it, it's a disappointment. Yep. I I mean, I really don't know what else to say. And I, I think what's concerning is not only have the TV ratings largely gone down since Indy, they, I mean, they, keep dropping it seems week to week right yeah i mean we're not being hit over the head by nbc pr after each week saying their indy cars eight percent up from last year of 13 percent up or 21 percent. i don't know if they're even up at this point i don't know i guess we'll see at the end of the year but the fact that they aren't touting such a thing makes me think that they're pretty close to what they were last year or at least not as high as they would like to you and i said it from the start of the season if indycar isn't up double digit percentage points from last year then it's a disappointment. Absolutely. And why would ne- would NBC then give IndyCar 14 network races next year if they can't show the growth that we all expected? Exactly. Nine pole winners and nine races. Pato Award winning pole at Mid-Ohio for his first of the season. Just incredible stuff there. Miles Rowe picked up another win back-to-back now. He has the championship lead for USF 2000. So big weekend for him. Scott Dixon had a comment to Dylan Welch on NBC, this uh, paraphrase from Tony DeZeno. Today we looked like an IMSA race. I think race control needs to work out where they want to be. I'm fine with that as long as it's consistent. That's all anybody asks. Consistency is all we're asking, not just in the calls on track, but we saw the start waved off initially. And, and that goes to the drivers, I feel, in that respect. I mean, I still don't think we've had a true come-to-Jesus meeting with IndyCar to cut out the shenanigans of cars. Go- I mean, I thought Pato Award was going way fast on the on the warm-up lap, and nobody could catch up, really. They waved it off, and even when they started it, it was better, but it wasn't 11 or 12 rows. That's for sure. It was maybe six or seven, maybe eight. So that's even before you get to the inconsistent calls. And, you know, we see it on ovals. Guys hesitate, then try to start, and you get the according in effect, and three or four cars get into you. And you know what? If you're having 28 cars out there at Iowa or whatever it's going to be, and cars start doing that, and you have an accordion style, you're going to take out six, seven, eight cars before you even come to green or, or get through one lap. So I still feel like there is a big issue with that that IndyCar is just simply ignoring. And the drivers are basically policing themselves out there and how they start races. Green Savory Promotions tweeting this out. Scott McLaughlin, halfway to winning all the Green Savory IndyCar events this year. He won St. Pete. Yeah. He's won Mid-Ohio, Toronto up next. And Portland. And Portland as well on the schedule. So we'll see if he can uh, pull off the uh, sweep of all four events. A couple of uh, notes on some driver stuff. Uh, Nathan Brown, per Zach Brown. Pato and Colton's TPC testing programs with McLaren will take place after the IndyCar season is over with, likely in October or November. Also, we learned this during the race weekend. 
Jimmy Johnson update. Did not crash. Well, did not There's... crash. Also, he told Jenna Fryer and Nathan Brown, nothing changed. He still has no firm deal set with CGR and Carvana for a full 23 season. And for Jimmy Johnson, his best uh, road course race finish, I believe, at 16. I do believe, yeah. Now, just stayed out of trouble since there was a lot of attrition. So, But still, the fact that he did not, he, not even did he wreck, he never, we never saw him. That's a good thing for Jimmy Johnson. And David Malukas, uh, another good result for him. Ninth place, highest finish of the season, first top 10 as well. So another uh, driver to make note of with a good result for him. Okay. That wraps up the Mid-Ohio Recap. If you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode. Also, check out the store. We have stickers and t-shirts for sale. You can also uh, support us via Patreon, patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. We have four different pricing tiers. Thanks to Rob for his support and others for your support of the podcast. On social media, our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. And on Instagram, IndyCar Podcast is the handle. And you can always email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, or IndyCar-related rants. All right, Justin, time for the mailbag, and we have a ton. I mean, a ton to get to, so we'll try to get to this as quickly as we possibly can. Let's roll. We'll start with Rate the Race for Mid-Ohio. You know, I give it a nine, and I know you're going to scoff at me because you have a differing opinion, but I thought in terms of intrigue, in terms of excitement, there was the perfect, in my opinion, amount of yellows to reset the field, and, and, and it was great restarts and great action on the restarts. You know, the drama with Andretti Autosport, anytime there's drama, I think it bumps it up You know, for a track that at some times has gone without a single caution and pretty monotonous. I thought it was a pretty solid race, so I gave it a nine. I'm going to give it a seven and a half. No on-track passes for the lead. Shenanigans by race control. Yes, the Andretti drama was great, but that wasn't really battling for any noteworthy positions. I don't know. I, I've turned into the pessimist. Hey, I said it before we started broad, broadcasting here. I, I don't understand. You were the optimist. I was the pessimist. This is how <laughs> it worked, and now it's seemingly switching. Yeah, may, maybe one day it'll switch back. All right, ton of responses from all of you on Twitter. Brafog says 10 because I attended Mid-Ohio for the first time and had a blast. Went with my buddy nearly 20 years to the day since we went on our first IndyCar road trip to Cleveland. Our 11-year-old son met all the drivers and made another lifelong fan. IndyCar is my happy place. Hashtag I am Indy. I did not make it to Mid-Ohio this year. If I were at the track, I'd probably have a much higher rating because I love going to Mid-Ohio. It's, right? it's a fun time. It is. Hunter's Way 67, as an Andretti Autosport fan, a 1. As just an IndyCar fan, an 8. Also really bummed for Felix. He had a great car and was poised for a podium. Zach needs to put more focus on his IndyCar team. Insert sarcasm. Uh, Jamin T14, I'll give it a 7. Lots of action throughout the field, and the Andretti drama was great. Human Spectre 1, 8. For me, this is one of the best races Mid-Ohio has seen in the past couple of years. So much to take in from it, and all the passing was refreshing. Uh, happy for power. Uh, my dad, Hunter's Way 67, said he had no chance to move up to the front. Hashtag family rivalry. He showed him. Uh, Poet Chef Chinko says six and a half. The racing was great and really merited an eight. But the BS IndyCar has been doing with keeping the track green so some people can pit before going yellow has got to stop. Obviously, keeping the pits open under yellow is safe or they wouldn't be breaking their own rules. If the track needs a full course yellow, you throw that flag. Keeping the track green when it should be yellow is more dangerous, in my opinion, and getting everyone slowed down by the caution and letting them come into the pits that way. The only thing I see each race they do this is that they know the rule change is garbage. They're too stubborn to correct it. I fully agree. You have Caleb's full backing on that comment. I, I it, it cut away from my enjoyment of the race. N.K. Harden says eight. It would have been a nine if there were a pass up front. The craziness from third on back was wild all day. The top three were untouchable no matter who those three were. Drama inside Andretti team meetings is a solid 9,000, though. DC Soda gave it an 8.5 bump for the McLaren guys, but lots of action today. If Andretti's going to plode, it may as well do it 100%, which they absolutely did today. A lot, of, did. A lot of haters. Uh, Cole the Show Bear said 6, very mid for mid-Ohio. Canuck underscore, 9, good race. Big D Cart, 9.75, great crowd and unpredictability throughout. Mike Jarrett, 33, gave it a 10. 
Giant Smiling Man, nice handle, solid nine. BK Hickey, our answers will likely differ greatly from Michael Andretti's answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am analog, gave it a nine. I was very entertained. Happy for McLaughlin. Powers Run was incredible, as was New Gardens. Wonder who was more uh, PO'd during the race, Power or Grosjean. Lee Walk, seven. Eight for excitement, five for racing. Winner gets the lead based on a weird caution call. Uh, Kazel Nuts, 8.1. Very specific. <laughs> Wish any car race control could button up the initial starts for once and figure out when to consistently throw a yellow. Yes. 500 Indy 1911. What number is wild? The race to the front was overshadowed by the chaos mid-pack and back. Meanwhile, Will Power avoided all that and carved through the field. Andretti drama that has been around forever finally bubbled over. We didn't talk about this enough, but Will Power. Yeah. Phenomenal drive, especially after the early spin. After the early spin, you know, he was started him back anyway because of the impeding during qualifying, which really wasn't his fault. It was basically didn't know that Elio was there. It was kind of a weird situation because it sounded like the team didn't even know he was there. But for Will to do what he did, not let Saturday define his weekend, not let that spin define his Sunday and drive exceptionally well to get back up towards the front. You know, great drive by Will. And those are the type of drives that can lead to a championship. Racer Mac, RTP1. I'll give it a 7.5 to an 8. Not exactly thrilling up front, but the Andretti drama was entertaining. And Will Power from the tail to the podium was all sorts of cool AF. And that is uh, Rate the Race. So again, a lot to get to there for Rate the Race. Now we'll get to Team Grosjean or Team Rossi. <laughs> And you posted this poll, so we'll take a look at the results so far on the poll. I think uh, Team Rossi is ahead by a considerable margin. Well, you know, we set it up and said Team Rossi, Team Grosjean, or Team Indie Rivals. I chose Team Indie Rivals. Uh, This is the final results with 121 votes. Team Rossi at 50%. So 50% of you are backing Alexander Rossi in this drama. 37% said Team Indy Rivals. Just 12% Team Grosjean. So the guy that's the alleged most popular driver in the sport gets just 12% of the support in this uh, nice little rivalry we got going on at Andretti. Responses on this poll. Brafog says, listening to Roman's radio at the track, I heard the team tell him to remember to work with his teammates. He responded, he put me into the effing wall. His team then reminded him that he's a lap down and his teammates were not. But this is the <laughs> thing. He's only a lap down because of his teammate. Like, I kind of understand where Grosjean's coming from in that respect. True. Right? So why should I help my teammate in front of me who put me a lap down? Yeah. <laughs> Your point uh, yeah, is valid. So It's very valid. I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking at in that respect. Nick J. Fletcher, I don't think it's Team Rossi or Team Grosjean anymore. It appears that it's Team Grosjean or Team every other driver in the IndyCar paddock. Seems that Grosjean is miraculously not at fault when he collides with multiple cars every weekend. It's always the other car. Seems odd. Poet Shevchenko, the feud among teammates will only grow as that team connection is severed. And he posted a photo of uh, Senna Prost collating back in Formula One back in the day. Jeremy from HBG, is it okay if I find them both insufferable on the track. That is totally fine. Absolutely fine. I, in some ways, feel the same. And in some instances, like coming out of Sunday, I was like, both of them are pretty stupid on track. Indy Nathan uh, just posted a, g- a gif that said chaos. Phil underscore Barksdale, a gif that said let them fight. Daniel SCM 2004. Grosjean is quickly developing a reputation in the paddock as a hothead and a crash waiting to happen. Similar to his time in F1. He had popularity from Drive to Survive, but it's fading fast. And the Phoenix is going to find it hard to have another rebirth. Real quick from uh, Connor Ferguson, who is uh, live at, uh, I think it's Iowa, they're testing today. And an interview with Roman Grosjean asking him about the run-in last week with Alexander Rossi. And quote, obviously last week it wasn't really any of my fault. <laughs> so going along with the lines, the lines of some of you saying, Romain Grosjean never takes responsibility, but I think that goes for Alexander Rossi as well, in my opinion. More rate the race responses. I mentioned there were a lot, and I'm getting to the rest here. Sig Domer gave it a four. Seemed like everyone from driver, engineer, strategist, and race control. 
forgot what to do after summer break. Fit J1983, four and a half, was about seven till that weird late caution call. If you know a car is not getting out of the way, throw a caution. If you keep racing, you basically acknowledge that it's safe to have a car stuck on track. Yep. Jeff Zerneski, an eight. The cautions, Will Power, and the Andretti Autosport drama added to what is normally a race one from the front row. While McLaughlin started on the front row, he did not look like a clear-cut winner. Made you watch till the end. Jeremy from HPG, I give it 10. Bruce Andretti driver egos out of 10. Phil underscore Barksdale, 6.5. McLaren cars DNFing from podium places causes some potential action up front. The Andretti drivers forgetting they're uh, on the same team made up for that. John Campbell, 47, gave it an 8. It's probably my ceiling since I don't recall an on-track pass for the lead. Great drives by Power and VK. Tough battles throughout the midfield mix with Andretti and Sanity. Daguerre gave it a 7. I like drama as entertainment, but it went a bit over the top with all the cautions and the Andretti drivers starring in their own reality show. I like that. NBC focusing on Jack Harvey's onboard camera for an, an extensive period of time with seven laps left in the race was weird. Well, yeah, we, that's the high V promotion, but yes, it is. Uh, you know, we had our, our, uh, with 10 laps to go through the field, take a shot. It was a very good point. One of them had that we missed out on a lot with the McLaren cars going out. Cause Pato and Felix both had cars that were definitely locked in and both competing for a potential win. Yes, absolutely. Scuba Steve 85, eight for the race, lots of action throughout the pack. I give it a 10 if they aired the Andretti debrief. <laughs> <laughs> According to Stitch, eight on the mid-Ohio curve. Willpower doing willpower things was almost as impressive as the utter implosion of Andretti Autosport. Swinks NZ, since Scott McLaughlin won, I'll give it a big 10. Five sheep. From Swinks. Very nice. Blue Onyx 500, eight and a half. Transocean Trojan racing was only a six and a half, but the spectacle was an eight and a half. Thanks to all the drama and the Andretti cars waging war on each other. Okay, I think that finally Ooh. covers all of the Rate the Race entries. I Honestly, I don't think we've ever had that many for an Indy 500 and just the responses. Thanks to everyone for responding because that is... It's awesome, yes. It's, it's great. <laughs> All right, so on Andretti Autosports' recent struggles. So another poll that you posted. I'll let you pull up the results for let that one on that. who is most to blame. I'll, we kind of went over this a little bit, yeah. but looking at the most recent results, uh, team support staff, in terms of which is most to blame for Andretti Autosports' recent struggles, 42% said the team support staff, 26% driver lineup, 22% too focused on Formula One, 10% other and we have several responses to this all right the replies to that vicky lynn 26 it's kind of an all the above situation too many cars three seems to be the sweet spot colton coming in and outshining his teammates big egos rossi and grosjean the whole f1 thing has definitely been a distraction jeremy from hbg lack of focus on winning the races you're in now it's an interesting point Mm -hmm. as opposed to f1 yep nk harden i voted f1 focus they've been pursuing this for years now it seems to overlap the most with the last few years of IndyCar struggles. Even the one driver that has been good, they have been more focused on his F1 future than IndyCar. Can't disagree there. Indy Oreo, John Oreovitz. This is an old story that has repeated itself several times over the last 15 years. It's the ingrained culture of a lots of cars team spread very thin, led by a guy who was a terrible teammate as a driver. I find that comment fascinating because John Oreovitz covered... Michael Andretti as a driver and for him to come out and say basically he was a terrible teammate now he's running a team that has several teammates to deal with you know maybe the leadership isn't the best in terms of those guys getting along and he also makes a point spread very thin I mean this is a team that probably should have a three-car field in IndyCar and maybe a fourth for Indy instead you see four regulars five at Indy sometimes six at Indy I think they're just stretched too thin, not just in other series, but in IndyCar in particular. Yeah, you look at the the golden era of this team back when it was Andretti Green, 2003 roughly to 2005. You didn't have Marco on the team. You didn't have Danica on the team. And then you had Kanan, Weldon, Dario, and Brian Herta. Right. And that's the golden yeah. era. And you also had Honda, and you were the, the, the Honda... You were the factory manufacturer team, yeah. factory team. Exactly. Continuing on, P. Gaynor 14 says inability to adapt to the era screen and too many small mistakes on all sides. True. 
Rossi still hasn't won a race since they introduced the aero screen. Hunter's Way 67, poor pit crews. CGR and Penske rarely, if ever, have bad stops or poor strategy calls. The F1 fascination doesn't help, though. Tyler underscore Allen, leadership and too many irons in the fire. Bauer Racing says there's a whole lot of suck to going around. Uh, James Jordan, all of it. T.E. Francis, there are numerous factors, including turnover of crew, engineers, critical mistakes in race strategy, tire strategy and pit stops, and inability to qualify at the front, and occasionally a problem with the Honda engines. All right, and some comments on the Mid-Ohio TV rating. Raw Fogg said, sorry, it would have been 877,001, but I was there in person. My bad. <laughs> Come on, people. Nick Just- J. Fletcher. All right, it's official. Moving back to August. I want to keep Fourth of July Lake traditions and go to Mid-Ohio. Campground looked empty. Ratings down, and it's not convenient for me personally. Three major, in all caps, <laughs> reasons IndyCar needs to consider. Poet Shevchenko just says that's just depressing. And run underscore mark underscore run says F1 is the best time slot for summer races. I watch IndyCar on replay at night on Peacock. Just not willing to sit on the couch for three hours on a Sunday afternoon. NASCAR people are just NASCAR people. I don't try to figure them out. Well, he, he has a point. I can't remember outside of the 500 a race that I've watched live. The last race that I've watched live. Either it's a half hour behind, four hours behind, eight hours I don't know, you know, this this weekend I was away on Sunday, watched it in the evening. I actually watched Formula One first and then watched IndyCar. I watched some of F1 live and watched IndyCar, yeah, like a day later. Right? So I mean, it's a holiday week and people are busy. Yeah, definitely. All right, that's the mailbag. Thanks for all your submissions. Time for news and notes and a few things to get to, but nothing uh, crazy, silly season stuff. Nathan Brown of the Indy Star talking about a decision for McLaren on Felix Rosenquist's future. Uh, Zach Brown telling uh, Nathan Brown an announcement on his Swedish driver's future is likely to come in the next 30 to 60 days. There's a timeline there for you. Marshall Pruitt had a Silly Season article that came out before the Mid-Ohio weekend on Racer.com. Nothing really super shocking here, but Takuma Sato, Dale Coyne Racing, they have an option on Sato that uh, Dale Coyne expects to exercise David Malukas, multi-year deal. We already talked about Linus Lundquist, high probability for a third car. Covered uh, Renus VK, Connor Daly, multi-year contract. Everything is is good with his crypto-based sponsors, despite the volatility there. Hunko's Hollinger Racing wants to keep Callum Eilat. Eilat intends to stay. And no changes expected for Ray Hall Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Again, n- none of these are surprises Projected car count of 28 next season as of now. Obviously, things can change. We shall see. And this from Joe Saward, who covers F1, but some IndyCar nuggets. Daniel, as in Daniel Ricardo, has a McLaren contract for next year, but it's fair to say that he's become a disappointment despite winning last year in Italy. One might conjecture that McLaren might offer Daniel an elegant exit by putting him into IndyCar. This is not yet confirmed whether Felix Rosenquist will race IndyCar or Formula E next year. But spies in the U.S., I love that he uses the word spies, are suggesting that it is not a real option as McLaren will be running Pato Award, Alexander Rossi, and Alex Pillow, the current IndyCar champion who is currently racing for Chip Ganassi. Hmm. Throwing it out there, I'm not sure the truth to it, but... Uh, very difficult to see that happening. But I, I, I mean, elegant, agree. elegant landing for Daniel Ricciardo going from Formula One to IndyCar. Look, I'm an IndyCar fan, but that's not an elegant landing to me. You're going to go from making $40 million or whatever it is to Formula One to making $2.5 million in IndyCar. And then Cape Motorsports, they'll advance to Indy Lights next year. So more expansion as they plan to contest the season. They purchased two new Delara IL-15 chassis. So good news there is more expansion to Indy Lights. And it seems like there are more teams on the way as far as announcing they will move to Lights. So that's a look at uh, some more on Indy Lights. Congrats to Robert Wickens. His son was born last week. Wesley Joseph Wickens. And then one in Canada. Yeah, last to back first wins. at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Very impressive. So great weekend for him. Also, Logan Sargent becomes the first American to win an F2 slash GP2 since 2015. That was Rossi, right? The last American to win in that series. Yes, that's correct. Aero McLaren SP announcing Circle K, official partner for them during the Indy Toronto, coming up here in a couple weeks. And I thought this was interesting. We normally don't cover cover every single sponsor announcement, but Hub Insurance will be the primary sponsor 
for Christian Lungard at Toronto. And okay, Hub Insurance, whoop de doo. Well, they follow this up that Hub Insurance insures 13 of the full time IndyCar drivers. Ooh. So that is uh, working inside the paddock. So I'd like to see it, those bi weekly insurance payments. Oh, to man. Be, how much does it cost to be covered? I'm sure it's a lot. And we mentioned testing at uh, Iowa Speedway ahead of the Hy-V IndyCar weekend. Andretti team there, Ed Carpenter Racing there as well. And also they made this announcement. All fans welcomed for free Family Friday, July 22nd for the first day of the weekend. They'll have Indy Lights and IndyCar practice. Evening access to the track, infield paddock, all for free. There's the IndyCar and Indy Lights autograph session. These are the kind of promotions that Ovals need to do to get people to the track. Yeah, definitely. And looking up uh, as well, Connor Ferguson again, um, he is looking, he took some pictures of some upgrades at Iowa Speedway. It says, quote, I'm told hy is putting together these impressive additions in turns one, three, and four, and they look like hospitality zones. They're like covered kind of paddocks. Looks like it could be sweet type things, but they seem to be permanent structures is what Connor Ferguson says. So another investment by High V into making this event a big one. And, you know, I think we'll address this in, in future podcasts, but with the amount of capital that High V is putting into the IndyCar series, both with Ray Letterman, Lanigan Racing and the series in general, how much longer are they satisfied with having pretty much a back marker racing their car in Jack Harvey. Probably after next year. I mean, I know he's tied in multi-year deal uh, with Jack Harvey and with RLL. Uh, I get it. But at the same time, Ivy is going to have some say in, in who's driving their car, considering the amount of money they're spending. Absolutely. Okay. That uh, wraps up the mailbag. Not, not a ton to get to, obviously. Tweets of the week. First one from Jenna Fryer. IndyCar race seems drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and then this from NK Harden. Grosjean may achieve the nearly impossible task of going from the most popular driver to the least popular in one season. Well, I can guarantee you that he wasn't the most popular driver in the paddock last year when he won that award. And I I grow, I grow, put him as the most exciting driver because he was bringing drama. We love it. All right, time now for our random split air driver of the week. All right, we're going back to cart this week. We're going to the 2003 season, uh, your favorite cart season, of course. And we're going with Rodolfo Lavin with Walker Racing. Raced the entire season in 2003 for Walker Racing. I think I've actually heard of this name because I've just, it sounds familiar from looking at previous seasons and potential random split air drivers he was a veteran i I would say had parts of three seasons in cart slash champ car including both 2003 and 2004 he raced with three different teams in three years walker racing in 03 forsyth racing in 04 and cte hvm racing in 2005 and actually had a runner-up finish at road america in 2004 but the year in which he raced for walker racing looking at uh just Three top tens that I see on first Surfers, glance. Surfers, Vancouver eighth and Lausitz ring, right? The German. Yeah. yeah Lausitz ring in ninth. ninth. 18th overall in points, but a little on Rodolfo Lavin from Mexico and most notably raced in the Champ Car World Series. He raced in Formula 3, raced Atlantics with Michael Shank racing. Maybe we'll ask uh, Michael Shank about Rodolfo Lavin next time we have him on. Uh, he was not particularly successful in either Atlantics or Indy Lights. Uh, best finish of sixth in Lights, and I think it was portions of four different seasons, five different years ra- racing Indy Lights. Can you imagine somebody now racing five years in Indy Lights? No. Amazing. But uh, regardless, despite his lack of success in Indy Lights, in which he did set the record for most starts with 58 in Indy Lights, uh, he moved up to Champ Car in 2003, drove a, a disadvantaged Reynard chassis for Walker Racing, mediocre rookie season but then managed to sign with Forsyth. he was not a consistent front runner of course usually behind teammates paul tracy and patrick carpentier and then in 2005 found another ride joined the hvm team halfway through the season uh he tried to get a corona scholar or sponsorship for the 2007 season but no deal was made 
currently living living in St. Louis Potosi and is one of the owners from the Santa Ursula camp. And he was sponsored by Corona in 2003, so that's where that yeah. comes into play. So a guy that never won a race in IndyCar, but spent a lot of time in open wheelers between Indy Lights, Atlantics, and the Kart slash Champ Car World Series in the mid-90s to the mid-2000s. So Rodolfo Lavin, this week's random split era driver of the week. All right. We'll be back next week to discuss any more silly season rumors for IndyCar, any more fallout from Andretti Autosport, and to preview the return of the Honda Indy Toronto for the first time since 2019 at Exhibition Place in Toronto, Canada. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.